From coast to coast, women grow up with their bodies being watched and, almost without fail, learning to watch their own bodies. This self-surveillance begins young and for many women feels impossible to stop. It permeates our relationships and decisions, negatively impacts our physical well-being, mental health, and overall quality of life. The Body Myth Podcast explores how we got here, why our size and shape have nothing to do with happiness, and what we can do to find body peace. I'm Ronit Plank, and I'm your host for the Body Myth Podcast. Let's get off of this weight and body image roller coaster together. Hi, welcome to the first episode of The Body Myth. This is Ronit, and I'm going to be your host for this limited series. A couple of months ago, back in October, I had the idea to start a survey, and I titled it Your Body and the World, and I asked people who wanted to participate some questions about growing up in the United States and how they felt about their body size and when they first became aware or judgmental of their bodies. I asked questions like, how many diets have you been on? And have you ever achieved a goal weight? And what was it that you were looking for? And so many other questions. That survey is still available on my Instagram account. There's a link for it. And it takes about seven minutes or so. And on that survey is a place to share an anecdote a body image anecdote that you would like me to read on the air. And I can do this with or without your name. And for the very first episode, I've got this anecdote from Chelsea. After I read this anecdote that Chelsea wrote, I'm going to begin my guest interview. And that's pretty much how the podcast is going to go. Sometimes I'm going to share survey results, always anonymously, so that you get a sense of what other women are thinking and what their experience has been like. And sometimes I'm going to read from my guests' books a little bit so that you get a sense of what their experience and outlook is. And sometimes I might cover a little bit of the history of body image in America, all toward this goal of better understanding how we got here and what some of us are able to do to find body peace and ideas we all can share for feeling more comfortable in our skin. So here is Chelsea's anecdote. I grew up and still live in the South. Food and Southern hospitality are our culture. When I was a little kid, I was not overweight, but as I approached my teen years to teenage years, I guess I was starting to gain weight. I'm not petite, but I wouldn't say I have a large frame as much as I would say I have large features. Long legs, long arms, wide shoulders, big hands, and big feet. I was always taller than everyone in my class in grade school. I grew quickly and then stopped all of a sudden. I'm 5'6", so not overly tall. I grew up middle class in the 90s. We ate bagel bites and cereal, drank Surge soda, and watched cartoons all day long. 
I wasn't an athletic kid and spent a lot of time as a young child watching television and eating junk food because healthy food was expensive. I also grew up in a finish-your-plate household. You don't get up until you've eaten everything on your plate. And then there's the southern hospitality part of our culture. It isn't just being friendly to everyone. For girls and women, it means being sweet and pretty homemakers. We are objects to be admired, and we need to make sure we are something people find attractive. I remember being 12 years old and going to a restaurant with my mother and grandmother. My grandmother went to beauty school in her youth and became a hairdresser. She always said to us girls, quote, you're naturally beautiful, but everyone looks better with makeup, unquote. It was a charming thing she said that was very reminiscent of Dolly Parton's character in Steel Magnolias. We Southerners love us some Steel Magnolias. This day at the restaurant, I specifically and vividly remember my grandmother starting a conversation with me that felt like an intervention. It felt like she needed to explain something to me that would help me live in, quote, easier life. She told me I needed to watch what I was eating and how much. She said that boys like girls who are thin and in shape and that I was getting chubby and it wasn't attractive. That was probably the moment that I started hating my body, feeling hyper aware and ashamed of it and trying to change it. When I was 13 years old and approaching high school, I decided I would just stop eating. I would go three to four days without eating food. I drank water, soda, and tea, but ate nothing. I managed to do this for a while before my mother somewhat caught on and forced me to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. She noticed I hadn't eaten, but there wasn't any other conversation about it. She demanded I eat the sandwich, so I did, because I was terrified she'd find out what I'd been doing. Maybe she knew and didn't know how to discuss it, or maybe I was just paranoid that someone was on to me. I lost weight, but not as much as I wanted to qualify me as one of the pretty, thin, popular girls. It had always been my greatest insecurity since I was a teenager. It has affected the way I allow people to treat me, how I responded to men's interactions with me, and ultimately, I have let it define my identity. It's only been within the last four years that I started working out and trying to stay active for my health. Now I'm of a leaner build with good muscular structure and people call me thin all the time. It feels fraudulent. Or some people don't know why I work out all the time. They say, you're so skinny, why do you need to work out? Knowing how hard I've had to work physically to look like this and mentally, emotionally to overcome my toxic self-image, it is a very difficult thing to listen to without wanting to shout from the rooftop. It took me 20 years to realize that this is the body I have. It can't be changed, but I can do what I need to do to make it feel better. And that's how I'm desperately trying to live my life each day. Thank you, Chelsea, for sending that in. I really appreciate the opportunity to learn about your experience and also to share it here. If you have a body image story that you want me to read on the air, I would love to be able to share that with listeners. You can email it to me at yourbodyandtheworld at gmail, or you can find me on Instagram at Ronit Plank. And these are a couple of paragraphs. They can be a little less, a little more. Think about 250 words or so. And I look forward to hearing from you. 
All right, now it's time to introduce this episode's guest. Today, my guest is Allison Shelton. She wrote and directed the award-winning feature, Eve of Understanding. She wrote and created the comic Reburn, which successfully funded issues one and two on Kickstarter during 2021. The art for Reburn issues three and four is close to completion, prepping for a Kickstarter launch in March 2022. Her original screenplay, The Night We Met, was selected for the second round of the 2021 Sundance Creative Producers Lab. Additionally, her essays have appeared in the New York Times, Miss, Hobart, Pulp, Survivor, Lit, and elsewhere. Welcome, Allison. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. You're joining me on The Body Myth today to talk about your specific experience with body image and growing up in this country, but your take has to do with uh, gymnastics culture. At least that's what we're going to focus on. But before we dig into that, although I guess it's going to be very related, I'm going to ask you what I ask all my guests, which is how old were you when you first thought about your size or began judging your body? This is such a great question. And I remember reading it um, on your social and I wanted to say something because I felt like, oh, this is such an important question and I couldn't unpack it. I don't have an easy answer of, mm-hmm. oh, it started when this happened, you know, and I was really thinking about it. And <laughs> I think the answer is I don't remember not thinking about it. Mm. You know, it was just in the air and, um, I grew up the youngest of five children. I have four older brothers who are significantly older and women were othered. They were, they were othered from the time I can remember, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, I remember my brothers had a impressive to others collection of playboy magazines Mm -hmm. and my friend and I at, you know, the age of five, would go sneak in there and look at them. And those women all have a certain, particularly in that day and age, which is like the seventies, mm. late seventies, early eighties, you know, they're mm. all a certain type. And it was like, Oh, so this is what we're supposed to look like. And my family was very interested in our outward facing, you know, appearance. We looked good. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember even really having a family member who was overweight so it mm. was, we were very fit, very athletic. You know, I have a brother who's a professional windsurfer, another brother who's a, a lifeguard, um, another who's a scuba instructor. Like, this mm. is what we did. For me, as I grew older, and then it was interesting becoming a gymnast because I felt empowered in a way by gymnastics because strength was a goal. Mm. And there, there's a part of that that's really unique. I think to girls, especially at that time, I don't think strength was really something we were meant to desire. Mm-hmm. And, and I loved it. And that's something I've carried with me for the rest of my life. Um, this desire to be able to outrun anyone or be able to punch back or, hmm. you know, that was something because I lived through some early trauma and that was something in my consciousness too. So Mm. Well, can I ask you, um, mm-hmm. I have so many questions already, so <laughs> that's a good sign in my opinion, but your mom and your dad, so I get this, the Playboy stash from the brothers mm-hmm. and who are a lot older than you, and did you, 
uh, I mean, we could spend an episode just on that because actually, um, you know, in my in my book, I, I talk about that and I've written more about the Playboys and Wees that I found that my dad had at his stash. And mm-hmm. I was going in there with my friends and mm-hmm. I was definitely doing the same stuff you were, which was, uh, I guess that's what I have to look like. And I guess this is what sex will be like. And I guess these are the faces I will make when I'm having sex, when I'm a, a woman. Like this was... This was like the woman goalpost for me, and it was exacerbated by the fact that I didn't have a woman living in the house. So for Mm -hmm. me, this was sort of, you know, the pinnacle, you know. And so sex and body shape and desirability and worth all got wrapped up for me. And it sounds like that might have happened for you. Yeah, I think because of the trauma I lived through, which was was sexual, um, I wasn't that interested in sex per Mm -hmm. se. But Mm -hmm. I knew that I needed to be attractive to be of worth, Mm -hmm. I felt that that Mm -hmm. was not negotiable. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have to say that I wasn't actually, I didn't end up growing into this very sexually aware or comfortable person. And that was for a whole bunch of other reasons. So though this looked intriguing to me and Mm -hmm. I was curious, Mm -hmm. it didn't translate into my own comfort around physical connection later. So we may have that a little bit in common too. Yeah. I don't, I'm curious if it does ever really relate to confidence because it's, it's, it's so off-putting. It's such a strange experience to be a young person taking in this media and Mm. imagining yourself. And, and for me, it was, I was thinking about this earlier, how as I got older, I was a late bloomer, um, mm-hmm. which is uh, related to gymnastics. They say, like, I read some statistics somewhere for like every year you do an intense sport like that, it delays puberty by six months. Oh my gosh. And so I, you know, got my period when I was 15. Mm-hmm. Like, Me so too. I was yeah. really, oh, okay. Cause I feel like so many people get it much younger. Um, yes, much, much younger. Yeah. I was dying to get mine. I have to say, like, I, I'm not shy to tell you that I, from the age of 11 on, would pretend, mm-hmm. oh, look, I've got my period. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine what it felt like. But it was about a week before my 15th birthday that I got it. Well, we were, I feel like we're at a small club. And- <laughs> <laughs> the strange, and I, and I agree with you, those, honestly, like those, those photographs of women and the stuff that I shouldn't have been seeing. Um, because it wasn't really a healthy, in my opinion, view of sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, that really kind of affected me, and and my the images really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but i i want to I want to get back a little bit to your mom and your father. So, were you getting messages? Anything was th- were things implied? Was the message Im- implicit, or d- were people talking in your family about being healthy and weight and what women should mm-hmm. look like? It was definitely being talked about. Um, my mm. my parents got divorced when I was around three, but they lived in the same house as friends for the next 11 years. So it was complicated. And my mother was the only person in our household who was not, she was a little overweight mm-hmm. is how I would characterize it. I don't I even know if I'd say she's overweight now, but back then it was, she was fat. I mean, mm-hmm. that was definitely the way she was talked about. She definitely accepted that message, internalized it. Um, there was a lot of messaging, um, my mother was also deeply depressed when I was young. Mm. So there was a lot of messaging about how she was crazy. And oh, wow. um, so did you, do you recall ever, do you recall ever forming an opinion about your mom yourself? 
or did you just take for granted the things that everyone said about her? I didn't think she was crazy. Um, I was also invested in her not being crazy because she was the best hope I had of being cared and loved, you know? So I, I didn't know that she wasn't getting out of bed a lot mm. and making different choices, mm -hmm. but I didn't think she was crazy. I, I may have accepted because I feel that she was accepting it because she was being bullied, that mm -hmm. she wasn't in good shape. It was being shown to me. She mm -hmm. couldn't run as fast as my dad. She didn't exercise as much. She didn't have as much self-discipline. Self-discipline was a big thing in our family. Um, so she didn't have that. Uh, so then what about your, your thoughts about your mom's body? I remember when I got a little older, even though I only saw my mom on the week, every other weekend, I would kind of, I got to a space of starting to look at her more, you know, analytically her body and her skin and wondering if I was going to have, you know, let's say all those freckles or moles, <laughs> you know, was I like, I swore I never would, I could never have that. I was not going to be like her. So I just, even though I wanted more of her, I still mm -hmm. had that. So were you, were you in, were you feeling like, the tension of, of trying not to be like your mom? Did you, did you have an opinion about body size yourself? It's funny. I think related to the Playboy magazines, my mother had large breasts and that was something that was also talked about. And my matrilineal line generally is well endowed. And that was something that I was nervous about. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to, I was grateful I was a late bloomer because I didn't, I wanted boys to like me, but I didn't want to do anything with them. Mm -hmm. So I was nervous about the potential of having being welded endowed myself. And I wanted to like hit that sweet spot, which when I was thinking about body image, I think for me, this was my biggest takeaway, like that the sweet spot exists where you're attractive, but you're not too attractive, mm -hmm. you know, where you don't get bullied about your size, but you also don't get reduced to your size or your <laughs> well, what, what is that sweet spot? Can you know, you, have you discovered it? No. And that's the thing that I was thinking about, like, oh yeah, that's a lot of the mental gymnastics we put ourselves through this sort of like, oh, well, I, I do want to have breasts. Obviously I don't want to be totally flat, but I don't want to be too big, you know, like this kind mm -hmm. of, I want to be fit, but I was thinking about this too, because I've always exercised and I mean, that started early with my family and then with gymnastics. And then I really appreciated all the things that my body could do. And it made me feel empowered. And I became more interested in that than the size of it, more interested in what it was capable of, which I, was empowering for me. Mm, yeah. And, um, but I also didn't want to be too fit because you don't want to seem like too intimidating or that you need to be taught a lesson. You know? And who was, oh. who was the, the phantom or who was the object of your fear or not fear, but concern? Who were these people or forces that you imagined, if you had to think about it, w would say these things to you? Were they girls your age? Were they yeah. adults? I think, you know, men in general and then um, my, <laughs> my brothers and fathers specifically. I didn't think about my size much until I hit puberty because I was because of gymnastics and all of the things I did pretty tiny. And when I went through puberty, my dad was openly disappointed in the shape that my body was taking. Oh um, my gosh. So that was <laughs> dispiriting at best, devastating what, at worst. What would he say? I mean, how, what was the comment? 
uh, he would uh, he would always my whole life admire women who were extremely thin women who later I would think oh she probably was anorexic you know very thin women um skeletal women mm -hmm. and uh admire their self-control and um he <laughs> he would say things <laughs> he he once told me I was hefty not in a mean way <laughs> he would say that <laughs> um not in a mean way you're just bigger than you should be or used to be um mm -hmm. and he would just comment on how large I was and I and I've carried that around for a long time and I shared it with a friend and she was like you know you're not very big right I always think of you as a small person <laughs> mm. yeah. and I was like I think up to that point I sort of knew that I had some body dysmorphia because my viewpoint of what I looked like would change depending on what kind of day I was having you know mm -hmm. I would have enough awareness to be like Oh, I thought I looked good yesterday when I was happy. And today I don't think I look good because I'm unhappy. So oh I can't have physically yeah. changed that much in a day. Yeah. So, yeah. So you knew that, you knew that you like, you know that. So it had yeah. to have been something. Well, you know what? There's a couple of things that, that come to mind. And I know we haven't even gotten into gymnastics yet. <laughs> wow. I guess we were really overdue for a conversation. So, um, the trick is, like, I feel like how do we find joy in our bodies mm -hmm. without judging it either way or, like, without assigning without assigning it to a scale, literally a scale and also, like, a measure? You know, how do we – how do, can we, like, inhabit our bodies, embody our bodies without making them the, the way that we judge ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is this idea of other people – getting a say in our bodies and and basically forming when we're so young the relationship we're going to have with our bodies for the rest of our lives unless we dismantle it or do a whole bunch of work that's tricky and not always successful. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me who got you into gymnastics and what was the fun version of it, the fun part of it, and how much of it was the driving part of it that you did anyway, even when it wasn't fun? It's funny, the same friend that I looked mm. at with Playboy magazines got me into gymnastics. She was going and she liked it and I was doing a lot of dance and it seemed fun and I was athletic. I've never been, I don't think anyone's ever described me as, you know, like fairy-like or whimsical. You know, I'm, a, I'm definitely on the strong side of people. So gymnastics <laughs> fed into, the, that's a plus, mm -hmm. you know, um, I never felt appropriate in ballet it mm -hmm. never felt like I was going to fit in there mm -hmm. and gymnastics felt like a much more natural fit and um and it's like mildly dangerous and rewards risk-taking which I uh, my personality certainly skewed that way when I was younger you know this was like the age of Mary Lou Retton and yeah. USA Gymnastics so I got pretty serious about it and started going to like um scats which was a gym that the olympic coach at the time ran so mm. i started there and i was very where were good. you growing up by the way what state? um orange county california oh, okay gotcha yeah. okay. so mm -hmm. a very uh i think <laughs> well known for being body obsessed area yeah. um so i went to this new gym scats from my tiny little gym and you know i showed up and they told me oh well you're no good basically um you might have been good at your tiny gym, but here you're nobody. You're going to have mm. to work hard. You're going to have to dedicate yourself. And um, when people told me I was no good, I, you know, took it as a challenge because that was how my family operated. Um, mm. You prove your worth 
by doing, not by actually just being yourself. Um, <laughs> so I took, I, they threw down the gauntlet and I went for it. And um, eventually I was there six days a week, you know, three, four hours a day uh, mm. practicing and, and doing private lessons and strength training and all the different things. And I was like uh, 12 years old, so mm. young. And did you feel safe there? You know, it's funny because all of this uh, abuse has come out about the gymnastics world. And in fact, Don Peters, the head of that gym, was banned for life because of sexual abuse that he perpetrated on some of the gymnasts that I knew. They were a little older than me. It's a really, it's a challenging question because boundaries are, there are no boundaries between a gymnast and her coach because Mm -hmm. they're touching you all the time because they're spotting you, you know, they're keeping you safe from falling and Mm -hmm. injuring yourself. Um, And their hands are in places that you wouldn't generally let anyone touch you. And the messaging is, oh, this hurts? No, it doesn't. You know, no pain, no gain. If you really want it, you can work through it. Um, You don't get anything without hard work. And Mm -hmm. um, so... I think my, I don't think I felt safe in my life until I was in my twenties at Mm -hmm. at any point, really. I didn't feel safe at home. Um, I didn't Why? Why didn't you feel safe at home? Um, there was a lot of emotional abuse and, um, my oldest brother was a bully at the very least, uh, Mm. but also unsafe. He was uh, running drugs through our house. So that was not good. Mm-hmm. Um, and he got shot when I was young. And so it was, there was just this general feeling of like, and, and I had another brother die not long after that. So there was just this general feeling of anything could happen. Yes. Yes. I hear that. I'm really sorry about your other brother. No, oh, thank you. It was, it was devastating because we were close and he was really kind. Um, mm-hmm. so it was one of those like, why him mm-hmm. moments for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I'm hearing that gymnastics may not have been ideal and it definitely had its challenges and all these kinds of things mm-hmm. going on inside that you probably, I would imagine, had a hard time even processing or yeah. recognizing until later, yeah. but was better than home. Yeah, and I think it, or equal, I mean, it certainly wasn't negative um, uh-huh. I, until I decided that I'd had enough. But um, it was I, it was one of the first places that I felt strong. And, mm-hmm. and for that, I'm grateful. I felt like, wow, I'm strong. I can, I was very proud of my ability to do 50 pull-ups or a hundred sit-ups or I, mm-hmm. I felt, um, I loved going to school and being, being able to outperform anyone, <laughs> including the boys. <laughs> it was, yeah. it's very quantifiable, you yeah. know, it's very measurable. It's very black and white. And I can see that being really comforting. It was, and 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 my father and my brothers were very proud of me. You know, yeah. my father went to all my meets. This is the same guy who seemed surprised every time a teacher liked me, you know, or wasn't that engaged with me on a daily basis. But he mm-hmm. would come to my meets, and and he seemed truly enthusiastic about what I was doing. Um, and that was rare, and 
What about your mom, Allison? Was your mom how did do you do you have a sense of how she felt or feels about your your life as a gymnast? What was that like for her? I think she was um it was driven by me. So she, you know, I didn't have parents who wanted me to do it. I wanted to do it. And um she she was always there saying like, you know, if you get tired of it, it's fine. <laughs> You can quit or retire. She would always say retire. It's not quitting, it's retiring. Um, it was it was intense. Mm-hmm. And, and I think she felt like it was too much for someone my age and um, what we were being put through. You know, we're, we were weighed before practice and, and I was never ashamed for my weight, but my good friend was because she was going through puberty. Mm-hmm. So she was getting bigger as mm-hmm. one does. Um, mm-hmm. And and blamed for it. And I think she saw where it was headed and she was nervous about that for me. You know, what's so, I, I mean, I know this is a, is an issue in a lot of the sports for women that have to do with grace and performance like this, but is anyone surprised when girls go through puberty? Like it's been happening forever. Mm-hmm. Like why No, I'm not blaming, I, I don't mean at all to point fingers at the actual gymnasts or the the athletes yeah. I'm, I'm talking about, or the ballet dancers, like mm-hmm. I'm talking about coaches and I'm talking about, you know, the, the mentors, because what kind of a message is this? And I think it, it bears, it bears being said, like, I, I think that I hadn't really thought about it in this way before. What kind of a message is it to send to girls, to youth that, uh oh, you're going to get older and your body's going to become more of what it's supposed to be. And we are dreading that day collectively. We're dreading it. Your body comes unwieldy. It's also, you know, some, you don't know what a girl's going to look like when she goes through puberty. Some girls stay lean and lanky. Mm -hmm. Some girls get voluptuous and the Mm -hmm. ones who get voluptuous are useless. You know, I mean, it was very Mm -hmm. much because I, I was friends with some of the older girls and, the amount of shame that was heaped on them for having breasts or hips or, and and they were excellent gymnasts, but it was, but it was, they weren't going to go to the Olympics. We all knew that if that happened to us, it wasn't going to happen for us. So it's like kind of being a sitting duck, just, is it going to happen? What's my body going to be like? And then is it going to be too late for me? Am I going to be put out to pasture? Pretty much. I mean, you could go on and do college gymnastics, but that which is a huge accomplishment. But at that mm-hmm. gym, it was like, oh, college gymnastics. You know, I mean. So did you ridiculous. did you restrict your food at all? Um, I didn't really. I don't. I don't have that recollection because mm-hmm. I loved eating prime rib and mashed potatoes and chocolate mousse, and you know, because I was <laughs> exercising a yeah. lot, and I would exercise outside of gymnastics because that is all my family did together you know, my brothers right. and my father. So my brother's a professional windsurfer, so I would go windsurfing. Like, I, yeah. I, that was my life. When you were this active and you were doing all these fun things with your family and then you were doing gymnastics, did you ever get self-conscious about your body? Did you did you think about it or worry about it? Or were you pretty easy and free about it because you knew you were just moving all the time? I was pretty confident because I mm-hmm. was thin and mm-hmm. muscular. I was the ideal, I think, of my family and a certain fragment of society. And I also felt safe in my body. Like mm-hmm. I really felt like, wow, my body's doing all these things. And, uh, and I was proud of it. I was proud of myself and, and puberty was rough. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. I, I didn't go through it in gymnastics. I went through it later and 
and my body did change and and I wasn't prepared for the attention and mm -hmm. the, and the, how it changed what it was capable of. I couldn't do 50 pull-ups anymore. I weighed, you know, 30 pounds more. I, mm -hmm. my whole vision of myself shifted and, and I still played a lot of sports, but it was a different, it was different. I, I, at that age, when I was thick in gymnastics, I was getting so much feedback about what I was doing and how it was positive. And I, mm. I did believe it. Um, so I felt so pretty good. So you left gymnastics before <laughs> puberty? I did. I got injured, which most everyone does. And so I had to take some rest. And I read Mary Lou's biography or her autobiography mm -hmm. about how she had arthritis at 18 and mm -hmm. knee replacements were, you know, inevitable for her. And I was good, but I wasn't going to go to the Olympics. Like I knew I wasn't. And mm -hmm. um, I didn't want to have arthritis when I was 18. I, I yeah. valued doing things. I loved swimming in the ocean and playing tennis and hiking. And I didn't want to give up on all that. I didn't want to peak when I was 16. Mm -hmm. So then, then when you think about the years after that, you know, uh, growing into the body that you would have as a woman and, and what's your relationship to your body now and to exercise and to size now? Uh, it's pretty good. I think it's the best it's been probably since that age. Um, mm -hmm. I think I'm so still, I'm so proud of my body that it, all it can do. And the more that I lean into that, I'm so grateful I can go hiking and swim in the ocean and, and be pregnant and give birth to children and, mm -hmm. uh, and nurse them. And it's a miracle. And mm -hmm. I, I try to stay on that side of things. Um, it's not easy, mm -hmm. but Always. When does it get less easy? Is what what do you find is the biggest the biggest obstacle for you when you do have moments of frustration or doubt or you know disappointment in maybe where you are and what you can't do anymore or what you you know what I mean like what mm -hmm. what, what triggers that is it comments from other people or is it just your own body's you know senses mm -hmm. what is it I think honestly, it's the same thing I was talking about earlier, the dysmorphia, like when I'm having a bad day and I look in the mirror mm -hmm. and think like negative thoughts about myself. It's always like my neck or my stomach. Those are my two hot spots. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I think everybody has spots from oh, the yeah, conversations sure. I've had Definitely. with women. Um, I think men too. Uh, but yeah, my neck like has aged as they do and what has happened? <laughs> <laughs> I say that a lot. What has happened? <laughs> or I know this happens to women like other women, but when I was in my 20s, it wasn't going to happen to me. <laughs> yeah, and it just happens. Um, so I think I notice it more when I don't feel like full of the positives in life, you know, and my stomach I don't have six-pack abs. I've never had six-pack abs. That's not the body I have. I mean, I had six-pack abs when I was in gymnastics. But mm -hmm. since puberty, um, you know, because I've got a butt and I've got breasts. And you, you don't get all the things, you know. Like you, get, <laughs> you get some things. Um, and I think media and social media, what's being presented oftentimes is 
photographically enhanced or surgically enhanced. And I think there's not enough conversations about what bodies actually look like. And Mm so when I am not feeling great, I forget all the things I know. And I, I regress back to that, like, oh, well, I could be better. So then what is, how do you, in our final moments, I have just maybe two or three more questions, but how do you get to that place when you're not feeling it? When, when you realize you're in a thing or a rut Mm -hmm. or some sort of cycle of thinking, what is helpful for you to get away from that? I do something. I take Mm -hmm. a walk. I stretch. I I, do, I garden, although I don't do that as much as I used to. Um, I just, because I'm an able-bodied person, I have all of these things that I'm able to do, and it's a gift. And, yeah. um, and really, isn't all that stuff just noise to distract us from getting our shit done? Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, That's I think so. how I feel. As I, mm-hmm. especially as I grow older, it's like, oh, all this was created to just distract us. Mm-hmm. None mm-hmm. of this means anything. And, mm-hmm. and I don't want to waste any more time on this. It, it's bullshit. <laughs> I don't know if I'm supposed to say that here. Yeah, but you can say it. Yeah, it's just, say it's, it. it's not mm-hmm. useful and, and it's a trap. And, yeah. and I, I mean, I had so many friends who had really serious eating disorders and I watched their health deteriorate, their accomplishments drift away because society or their family or media got in there. And it is painful to watch. Mm-hmm. You know. Have any of them recovered or regained, you know, you know I'm a not, sense I mean, of peace? It, it's when I was younger. So mm-hmm. it was like high school and college. Those were the like mm-hmm. hot times for that behavior. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I don't know them. Um, mm-hmm. one of them, the last time I saw her, she was not, she did not have any eating disorder, but she was struggling with other substance issues. So I, mm-hmm. you know, I was wondering about your, your relationship with your father. Mm. Um, did it change at all or did you ever, <laughs> is, oh, that's another episode. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, what did you ever, did you ever come to a place? Is he still living? No, no, he's not. Mm -hmm. Did you ever come to a place where you were able to be the way you wanted to be without his, you know, surveillance or did you ever talk to him about it? I stopped talking to him for like eight years in my adult life because I wasn't, wasn't able to have a relationship with him where I wasn't just raging at him all the time. (laughs) That didn't Mm -hmm. seem um, productive for Mm -hmm. either of us. So Mm -hmm. I stopped talking to him, um, which was one of the best decisions I ever made. And during that time, I was able to start unpacking so much of the messaging that Mm -hmm. I had grown up with. I needed a break from all of it Mm -hmm. to be able Mm -hmm. to see it. Um, And then when we reconnected, um, I was able to distance myself from it. One this story might be a good out at my rehearsal dinner. Um, we had all you could eat barbecue. My husband is from Texas. So we thought, Oh, this will be fun. We'll do like a barbecue. And I was eating food as you would, as you do. And, um, my father came up to me as he did often in my life and say, are you going to eat all that? That was one of his refrains. Mm-hmm. Um, like the night before your wedding. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I am absolutely going to eat all this. 
And, uh, and my husband was like, of course she's gonna eat all that. Like I had built a life where his comments were almost comical. Like, oh, here he's gonna come and judge what I'm eating. Uh, mm -hmm. It still is not great that he was saying those things to me, but at least I was able to see that that was his shit, not mine. Mm, yes. And actually, you know, you remind me that, you know, when you talk about your father and when you told a little bit about what it was like growing up like that and, and what, what, how bad and damaging the messages were, I have to remember that you didn't necessarily understand that or could articulate it back then. It sounds like you really understood it better and have perspective about it after you got older and yes. you were able to really ruminate. So I just think it's important for all of us to remember that, you know, if we haven't figured it all out yet, we will get there and we don't always know what's happening to us, especially when we're in the moment or even when we're growing up. We, we can't we can't put a name on what it is. We just know it doesn't feel right. And there can be lots of understanding later and empowerment later about it if we have to go through it when, when we're too young or too vulnerable to figure it out, you know? I, so I totally that, agree. that should give some hope to people who are still in the throes of that. Um, so if you had to give if, – if you could give one piece of advice to – gymnasts coming up now or, you know, young girls and, and young women, what would you give, what would you tell them about their bodies? I mean, to anyone, I would just say, what a gift that we have these bodies to do all these amazing things. And anyone who's telling you that the shape you're in is not the right shape, get rid of them. Mm -hmm. They're no good for you. What they're offering you is poison. Get away. Hmm. Thank you. Allison, I will link everywhere where people can find you in the show notes, but do you want to, do you want to just give a shout out to where people can find you? So if they're listening, sure. they can go check it out. Um, I'm, I have a website, allisonshelton.com. My name is spelled A-L-I-S-O-N-S-H-E-L-T-O-N. And then I'm active on Twitter and Instagram. My handle is at by Allison Shelton, but I'm way more active on Instagram where I feel far more comfortable and uh, post regularly. Mm -hmm. And I have a series on there inspired by George L. Lyon's poem, Where I'm From, and people join me. Um, I provide prompts and they join me and read their poem and we talk about the poem. So if you're interested in checking out the series or participating, please direct message me. I love hearing from people and hearing your story. Oh, wow. That's great. You should oh, join me sometime, right? I, I really should. Where have I been? I've been <laughs> under a rock or something. I did not know about that one. Um, I will. I will. So thank you so much for being my guest. I learned a lot today and um, I really appreciate your introspection and your ability to really take us back to those, those years for you and to be so reflective. Thank it was, you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to The Body Myth. If you'd like updates, want to complete the Your Body in the World survey, or have a body image anecdote you'd like me to read on air, please visit the link in the show notes or find the link in my Instagram profile at Ronit Plank. That's R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. And if you liked this episode, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts so that others can more easily find The Body Myth. Thank you so much for being here. 